Welcome to Across the Blue Line, the season finale of Across the Blue Line. I'm Danny DeBlock with Derek Harper, and the Stanley Cup final is upon us. But before we look into the final, let's take a look back. First of all, let's look back at this season and what was the biggest disappointment. Derek, who in your eyes was the biggest disappointment this season? Danny, there was a few. Um, I mean, you had Minnesota, you had... The Knucks up in Vancouver, I think Minnesota's a big disappointment. I mean, the Oilers, uh, you could give the argument for them, but I don't really think that because they've struggled the past two years except for the one good year. So I think if you go to Minnesota Wild, their head coach, Bruce Boudreau, said they're going to make the playoffs. He guaranteed it, actually. And when he guaranteed it, all the fans think, okay, we can make it, and they showed some strength. Then they made a trade that, frankly, they lost that trade. They sent Nino Niederreiter to Carolina Hurricanes, who did very well there. And they got Victor Rask. And Victor Rask did help the uh, Wild there, Danny. But um, I think the Canes on that trade. And the Wild, I think they have some talent coming up to uh, pipe. And they have a bright future. I don't know if they can get the right pieces in play. But they got to figure out their uh, really all their special teams. they got to figure the whole game out and figure out why they didn't make the playoffs, how they can be better than those upper-tier teams. Minnesota playoff team last year, losing to the Winnipeg Jets. This year, they had a better record on the road than they did at home. Get this, Derek. Minnesota had a losing record at home of 16, 18, and 7. That is a grand total of 39 points. Whereas for the way matchups, Minnesota has a record of 21, 18, and 2. And it shows that Minnesota plays better on the road. And it was the home struggles, particularly on the power play for the Minnesota Wild, that did them in. And there was a reason why Minnesota was sitting on the outside looking in in the playoff picture. Yeah, and the power play is a crucial part for a team. When, when, when you're trying to get goals and get, get wins, you've got to score in the power play. There's a lot of teams that have the power play struggles. But then there are some that do well without power plays. But... You gotta score in the power play, and but even bigger than that, you gotta win on home ice. You can't lose more games on home ice than you win. Well, for my disappointment, it's a team that did win more games than they did on the road, and it was a team that during the midway point of the season, it seemed as if they were cruising to a playoff spot, but then things started to take a nosedive, and this team was the Anaheim Ducks. They were playing very well during the midway point of the season, and they seemed to be en route to an easy playoff spot, and then they hit this uncharacteristic stretch in the turn of the calendar year, where they only won two games in the span of over a month, and if you're trying to make the playoffs, you cannot be doing that. No, you cannot. You have to win a few games straight here and there, as you're playing on a good level, even if you have players coming and going at times, you have to have all the chemistry. You have to have the locker room chemistry, the on-ice chemistry, all your players doing well. You have to have a great coach on the bench, and you have to have the leadership on the front of the ice with your veteran cores and teaching the younger players. And when you have a stretch like that, it shows that something probably inside the locker room went wrong, and there's probably some internal struggle amongst the players. So get this, from December 18th, that was when a losing streak began for the Anaheim Ducks. They lost a ton of games. They only won two games in between February 9th and December, or December 18th. So get this, so there's a long span where this team lost continuously for quite a bit of time. You cannot do that. You look at all these L's, Danny. Holy cow. They, they had two massive streaks of just straight, flat-out L's. 
And then they had a two-game winning streak in there where they beat the Minnesota Wild and New Jersey Devils. But those are the teams that were struggling as well. But then just all those L's, and you had another two-game win streak against the Caps and the Wild. So the Wild were two of those wins. And the Caps were pretty good, so that's a pretty impressive win. But all those L's, you cannot do that. You have to wonder what went wrong during that stretch. Was it something inside the locker room? Or were they just unlucky on the ice? What was going on? Well, keeping it in perspective, it was a 21-game stretch where the Ducks lost 19 of them. Boy, that is just terrible. And for the most part, most of the defeats came in games that were not decided by one goal. They lost games that weren't even close. They faced the Buffalo Sabres. They missed the playoffs. They they lost 3 nothing in Buffalo. They played the New York Rangers and lost 3-1 to one to them. And they played at home against the Edmonton Oilers and lost 4 nothing. They lost to one of the worst teams in the league in Ottawa at home. And then they they seemed to be getting things together when they had a 3-0 lead against the Penguins, and they ended up losing 7-4. They lost to Detroit on the road in a 3-1 affair, and then they won two games against Minnesota and New Jersey, both teams missing the playoffs. And then they continued their losing ways, and there is a stretch that was just egregious for this Anaheim team. Get this. They lose to the St. Louis Blues 5-1, so that's pretty bad. Then they play the Winnipeg Jets, lose 9-3. Then they lose to Toronto 6-1. Then they play against the out-of-the-playoffs Montreal Canadiens and lose 4-1. Then they get... They lose to the Ottawa Senators. Mind you, Ottawa is one of the worst teams in the league. They got shut out 4 to nothing, And then they also played another team that missed out in the playoffs in the Philadelphia Flyers and lost 6-2. to two. My goodness, Anaheim just Dumpster fell fire. off of a cliff. Someone went duck. It was duck hunting season for a lot of teams there, Danny. And Anaheim seemed to be doing just fine before they, they reached the third thud in their season. It was Anaheim that was fresh off of a nice hot streak. They had won nine out of their last ten before they fell off a cliff. So you talk about the change of a season. Things really turned after a, a nice winning streak for this Anaheim Ducks team. They yeah, spoiled it. That's You don't see that often. You don't see those sudden flops. I mean, this, we're talking fans. We're talking they were winning games on a consistent basis. Short streaks consistently, and then they hit a rock bottom. Like, literally, this is a flick of a light switch. It's, it's the, We're not talking the Philadelphia 76ers and their tanking ways. We're talking they did great all season. Like, we're talking, I, I, I don't know what team it would be, but you go on a great bunch of winning streaks, and then next thing you know, you're losing, like, 19 straight. You, what went wrong? I have, to, I have to think it was internal struggles, Danny. There were injuries. Ryan Kessler was going through some issues with his body, and there's a chance that he might not play next season or he might be done for his career. Hopefully he's able to return. But the Anaheim Ducks, a definite disappointment this season. But instead of disappointments, let's head to teams that have surprised us. And this is not exclusive to only the regular season. This is also considering the playoffs when you think about it. So let's look at which team is the biggest surprise in our eyes. Derek, you go first. Who is your biggest surprise this season? My biggest surprise, um, there's a couple out there, and we'll talk about one later, so I'm not going to go with them right now, Danny. However, I'm going to go with a similar team there. And there's a couple here. Uh, I want to say Dallas Stars, but I get thinking about it. There's another team out there that I mentioned a little earlier in the show. The Carolina Hurricanes. 
Those guys are... They made a trade late season with the Wild who were struggling. They got Nino Niederreiter from the Wild and in exchange for Victor Rask, and I think that was a very beneficial move for them. I mean, I saw him play in the jun- jun- juniors. He's a top-level pick by the Isles, and they ended up knocking out the Isles. That was kind of funny there. But you, when you have talent like that, and you can get them all jelly, and you have the fans behind you, and you have the front office that put together the right players, and the chemistry off ice, chemistry on the ice, and you have short little winning streaks here, and they weren't losing many games toward the end of the season. They went on streaks of about five games, three to five games, against some high-quality teams. I mean, it's pretty good. After the trade for Nino Nidra, it seemed to pay huge dividends for the Carolina Hurricanes. And it was after the trade was made that Carolina started to win and make their final playoff push. And they were winning games very consistently on a route to a Stanley Cup playoff berth. And then once they're in the playoffs, we'll go into more detail about that later on. But boy, they sure got red hot. And they were playing great hockey throughout the entire course of the season up to the season's end. But but definitely for sure, the Carolina Hurricanes are clearly a surprise in how they were able to perform so well during the course of the season. To me, another team, you mentioned them earlier that surprised in surprise team uh, the surprise team in my eyes I'm going to stay within I'm going to stay within this the same division and I'm going to go with the New York Islanders because they weren't a team that they were a team that didn't do well in the postseason and it seemed as if the expectations were flustered with their new head coach Barry Trotz and then he came in and created a great atmosphere for the New York Islanders and boy did they ever turn things around they've finished a game behind the Washington Capitals for the division championship and it was it was simply a great season for the Islanders in how they were just resurgent throughout the course of the season. Yeah, and the Isles they got the head coach from the Capitals after the Capitals could not uh, extend him to a lease. And that's Barry Trotz. He also has some talent in the ice with Matthew Barzell, former Seattle Thunderbird. And when you have a bunch of talent on the ice and they traded away, uh, or they lost in free agency, John Tavares to the Maple Leafs. They've seen a lot of fire under him a little, and yet it's Stanley Cup caliber coach, and it took off. The game that everyone will most likely remember f- during this Islanders campaign was when John Tavares finally came back to the island where he took on the New York, well, we came back to face his former team, and it was a raucous crowd, and then the Islanders produced a resounding thud into John Tavares' return, a 6-1 win for the New York Islanders, stamping their ticket and proving that this Islanders team is for real, and they showed Toronto why they should not have gotten rid of John Tavares, so it was a signature win, and that far and away is the probably the biggest win for the Islanders this season because you had such a great key player in John Tavares, and now he is off to the Maple Leafs, but then when he made his return, boy, did they were they displeased, and they proved it in that 6-1 victory. But if but so that those were our surprises. Now let's look at which if there was a lasting impression throughout the entire season, it can be any different aspect. What would be the lasting impression that you'll have on this season, Derek? It's kind of two teams in one. Um, I'm not sure where it's exactly, but it's the Tampa Bay 
and the Columbus Blue Jackets, the way that Tampa Bay murdered everyone else in the standings, they rolled every every everyone every other team. They were miles ahead. I was looking, at, I was prepping for the show today, Danny, and I saw, holy cow, Tampa was like ahead of this one team by like 19 points, I think. And then I went to the next uh, team I was looking at, and the that division leader was only ahead of the next team by like two or something or one. I was like, wait. Am I prepping right here? Am I looking at the right things? Yes, I was. Tampa is that good. And then in the playoffs, they flopped. They got swept. We'll go into that later on in the show, but I have to agree with Derek. I was impressed by how great the the Lightning were during the regular season. They beat everyone within sight, and they were just they were playing lights-out hockey throughout the Columbus. entire season. And... This this is a Tampa Bay team that won more games on the road than any team within the National Hockey League won when they were playing at home. So that goes to show Tampa Bay, they won the President's Trophy, and they earned every little bit of that President's Trophy victory, and they won it with nearly a month to spare. So it shows that Tampa Bay is was truly on fire during the season. Of course, in the playoffs, it was a little bit of a different story, but we'll go into that in a little bit. But... If there is a story of the year, Derek, there's many storylines throughout the entire National Hockey League. Which is one that stands out above the rest? Above the others, I mean, there's a lot, Danny, and I'll say the St. Louis Blues. We'll get them a little later, but the way they turned around with the Jordan Bennington, that was probably the story of the year. And boy, did they ever turn things around. And it's the St. Louis team that has just caught fire as of late. We'll go into more detail about them, obviously, because they're playing in something sort of important. But yeah, so the St. Louis Blues, they turned heads and during the season. And you know, there was a point where it seemed as if St. Louis was in the dirt and done. But next thing you know, it was St. Louis that clawed themselves all the way back. And they were able to not only go well, do well in the playoffs, but also they could be etching their names in Lord Stanley's Cup. We'll have to wait and see. But obviously, to me, the story of the year is the Pittsburgh Penguins and how they are a team that always plays consistent during the NHL playoffs and tends to go deep. But they've had a, they had a pedestrian type of a season, but things started to change in the playoffs. We'll go more into detail about how mediocre their playoff campaign was but this was a Pittsburgh team that didn't seem to have the power play strength as they have had in recent years so to me the story of the year was the underwhelming Pittsburgh Penguins but enough of what happened during the regular season and the season as a whole let's go into the playoffs and let's dissect each and every matchup and what took place let's first begin obviously that you have to be you have to go in the first round to go places so let's begin with the first round of the playoffs, and let's first begin within the Western Conference and make our way through there. And let's first begin with some important matchups that were taking place in the Western Conference playoffs. And first, we'll begin in the Central Division, where there was a great matchup between the two teams that... that battled and it was the Dallas Stars and the Nashville Predators in what, what appeared to be a defensive series and it proved to be everything it was made up made out to be two goaltenders going head to head in Pecorine and Ben Bishop. Indeed Danny and I was watching I think it was game five there a 5-3 win for Dallas and it was offensively minded 
this whole series is almost all defensively in two games into overtime, game two and game six, and it was a fun series to watch. It was chippy. It was really, really chippy, and I enjoyed watching that series. There's some teams that you can really get into, some aren't so much, and some series you aren't able to get into unless you're that fan of that team. But this series was really fun to watch. It was chippy. It was fast-paced. It was a fun, fun series to watch. The series very, very much so turned in Game 4, and that was when Dallas won against the Predators by a score of 5-1, to one, and that seemed to turn the series around for the Dallas Stars, and they resurgently were able to win out the rest of the games in that series, including a phenomenal Game 6 that went down to the wire, and it was John Klingberg who scored the overtime-winning goal to propel the Dallas Stars into the second round of the Stanley Cup playoffs. Let's head over over to the Pacific Division side of things and a matchup between the first place Calgary Flames and the Colorado Avalanche. Calgary seemed to start themselves on the right foot. Mike Smith, the netminder for Calgary, shut out the Avalanche in the opening game of the series by the account of 4 nothing. But then Calgary just could not support Mike Smith the rest of the way. It was Mike Smith that stood on his head to produce the shutdown in Game 1, but Calgary did not do their netminder Mike Smith any favors as it was Colorado who just lit up the Calgary Flames, including two games in overtime, and it was, Cal- and it was Calgary that blew four games in a row. They lost four in a row, and just like that, the first-place team in the Western Conference was eliminated by a wildcard team. Danny, that was an interesting series. I was watching Game 4 with the guy at the Cirque here, and it was crazy. It was like literally a minute left in the game, and the Avalanche were down. And then they, they scored, like, I think it was 2-0 Flames. And they scored, like, three straight goals. I think there was, like, two within a minute 30 or something. And then they forced overtime. And then they shortened overtime. Maybe it was a short amount. Maybe five minutes, if that. And it, it was bang. And they ended it. was like, whoa. Yeah, at one point it was Calgary that led 2 to nothing. That was near the seven-minute mark where Calgary was up, but then a minute later, it was JT Comfer who scored to make it a one-goal game, and then Miko Rantanen took control. He scored with just a little bit under three ga- three minutes left to go in the game to tie it up on the power play, and then 10 minutes later, it was Miko Rantanen who scored the overtime-winning goal, and it was the Avalanche who led the series three games to one, and that seemingly propelled themselves into a nice position where they went to Calgary and destroyed the Flames. And the F- Calgary just did not support Mike Smith. This was not his series that he lost. It was the Calgary offense and his defense that blew it for him. Yeah, and the defensive players, that's a stand-up. The offensive players, sometimes they have bad nights or the team doesn't show up. But it's the defensive players. You have to be out there protecting your goalie, trying to disrupt the other team's shots from going in. And your defensive players are a huge part of it, Danny. They're very key and important. Let's head over to the Eastern Conference and a series that seemed as if this was going to be a classic. You had an Islanders team that was young and they had head coach Barry Trotz. They were upcoming in Pittsburgh. They have had Stanley Cup success in the past. And then it was in game one where it seemingly decided the series where the Islanders beat the Penguins in overtime on an overtime winning goal by Josh Bailey. And it was the Islanders that won by the count of 4-3 to three in overtime. And then the series just seemed 
to go awry for the Penguins. Yeah, I was unfortunate in that with how it happened. The Penguins, an interesting note here, folks. Games two through four, the Penguins only scored one goal in each of the games. And it's just unfortunate for the way they happened. And actually in games two and four, it was the same score, 3-1 in both of them. And Danny, just like you said, it was game one that kind of decided it. Game three was what clearly set it in my eyes that this, mm-hmm. this Pittsburgh team is just done. And it was because P- Pittsburgh didn't play with any momentum or energy. They seemed to be dead. And it, it was a formality that in game four, the Islanders were going to sweep the Penguins on the road. But it, it's, it's a sign that the Islanders are a team that is going to stay, and they're going to be here for quite a while. So it was impressive to see how this Islanders team was able to resurgently sweep the Pittsburgh Penguins easily, but it seemed as if the Islanders were well on their way to facing the Washington Capitals, but nope, it was the Carolina Hurricanes who did something very special. They hadn't made the playoffs since 2009, and then they helped matters out by losing games 1 and 2 in Washington, one of which coming in overtime in game 2, and it seems seemed as if Carolina was virtually dead, but Carolina, to their credit, they were able to win two games at home, a 5 nothing win, and then a 2-1 grinder against the Caps to make the series tied two games apiece. But then the Capitals said, okay, if you, okay, if Carolina is going to give game, then we're going to throw right back at them. And the Capitals beat the Hurricanes 6 to nothing. And then it was right then and there where you're saying, could they be possibly done? There's no way that Carolina can play that bad and win this series. Well, then Carolina had their response. In Game 6, it was a tight affair that came down to the wire, but it was Justin Williams who who scored the clinching goal for the Carolina Hurricanes in Game 6, and it was Carolina that won by the score of 5-2. And then came Game 7. All marbles. And it was in the Washington Capitals that opened out to a 3-1 lead. But then it was Carolina who played a... A, their style of their brand of hockey and Tara, T- Tavo Teravainen, the one of the main players that has won Stanley Cups in the past with former teams, he scored a goal to make it three to two. And then Jordan Stahl in the third period, he tied the game off a long shot that beat Braden Holtby, and that sent the game into overtime. And it wasn't until the second overtime where Brock McGinn scored the game-winning. Game 7 overtime winning goal, and Carolina, just like that, knocked out the champions. Danny, I was kind of shocked when that happened. I mean, I was kind of happy to see it happen and excited for a former Hawk, but it was surprising. The Capitals defending the Stanley Cup champs out in 7 by a team that made the playoffs in, I think you said, like 14 years or something. I mean, it's crazy. The way the Hurricanes came together, and they... Off ice, they don't have much motivation. That's not what motiva- motivates the team. But it seems that when Don Cherry kind of knocked them a little, that really set a fire under them, um, aside from the trade. And they got some motivation. They were called a bunch of jerks by him. And they took that with stride. And they were an underdog team that no one really expected to do much in the playoffs, maybe get out in the first round if they put up a good fight. And then they came and surprised everybody, Danny. To me, the credit goes to the veteran where wherever he goes... His teams always seem to find a way to win, and that's Justin Williams. He won a Stanley Cup previously with the Carolina Hurricanes 
in the beginning of his career. And then once he moved to the LA Kings, he contributed to two Stanley Cup championships there. And then he went to the Washington Capitals. He didn't win it. He didn't He's win a Stanley Cup. He didn't win a Stanley Cup with Washington. But the year he left to move to Carolina, what did the Capitals do? They won the Stanley Cup. And there was a there was an important key factor where Nicholas Backstrom, after he won the Stanley Cup, sent a text to Justin Williams thanking him for the leadership that helped propel this Capitals team to a Stanley Cup last year. But then when they had to face that same man in the playoffs this year, it was Justin Williams who had the assist on the game's seven overtime winning goal by Brock McGinn and Carolina knocked out the defending Stanley Cup champions. That's just kind of funny in the way that winning follows, and, and he's won a couple of cups now. But And then there they go. That guy, I have to wonder if he's maybe one of the greats of all time. <laughs> but, I mean, luck follows him or something. I don't know. Speaking of great greats of all time, if you look in the regular season, in great teams of all time, one team clearly stands out this year above the rest, and that is the previously mentioned Tampa Bay Lightning, and they were coming in the President's Trophy winners, and they're playing a Columbus Blue Jackets team that just squeaked into the playoffs, and in game one, it seemed as if Tampa Bay was doing just fine. They opened out to a 3-0 lead in the first period, and it seemed as if everything was going as expected. Tampa Bay was going to cruise through the first round, and well, the third period really struck a chord against this this Tampa Bay team as they gave up three consecutive goals within the span of seven minutes. And just like that, the Columbus Blue Jackets stole game one. And that, that seemed to be just a hiccup, and it seemed as if it was going to be okay, and Tampa Bay was going to pick themselves up in game two. And they can they really helped their cause out by having their number one score and hard trophy likelihood, Nikita Kucherov, being suspended. And they, they, they didn't help out their cause either by losing 5-1. to one. And... All of a sudden, Columbus just stole two games on the road in Tampa Bay. Danny, I don't know what to say. That Columbus kind of dominated them in this series the way they played. And I think, like you said earlier in our uh, season here, Tampa Bay had a little bit of the President's Cup trophy hangover there, Danny. I was saying, I was mentioning it for quite a while. But then Game 3 came along, and it was a close affair, but Columbus was able to pull it out 3-1. to one. And then in Game 4... It was a it was a slugfest, but Columbus was able to claw away, winning their first series in franchise history, credited to a 7-3 victory over the Tampa Bay Lightning, sweeping the President's Cup Trophy champions. And I, I mentioned this during the course of our show, Derek, that Tampa Bay is a team that was playing a month of meaningless hockey after they won the President's Trophy with with so much time to spare. It would be difficult for a team to pick themselves up after having a sweep. And we, we've seen that quite a bit during the Stanley Cup playoffs where rest is sometimes not a good thing, and this seemed to be the case for the Tampa Bay Lightning. Yeah, sometimes you hear the phrase rest or rust. And for some teams, it's just rest, and it helps them. And they get propelled, and they go on and winning streaks, and they win games, and it helps. Other teams, though, Tampa, it's rust. And I think they, they were playing Minnesota hockey for a month. But then you had to wonder, maybe they'll pick themselves back up and they'll just that was a little bit of rust and they'll be energized for the playoffs. And it seemed that they couldn't figure out how to get back to their winning ways. Speaking of not figuring out anything, this was a, this upcoming series was one that is very difficult to, to dissect, and that was between the Jets and the Blues. And you talk about a strange series. 
St. Louis stole games one and two in Winnipeg by a goal, two to one and four to three. And it seemed as if St. Louis was well on their way to possibly finishing up the series. But there seemed to be this weird taste in this series because these are two divisional opponents that play very evenly matched. And sure enough, it proved to be the case. Winnipeg stole games three and four in St. Louis, and the series was tied 2-2. And then in game five, that seemed to be the turning point of the series where it was St. Louis having battled all the way back in what was a scrappy game. Winnipeg was up 2 to nothing early in the first period, but then in the third period, things seemed to turn around, and St. Louis scored three goals in the third period, including one with 15 seconds left to go in regulation by Jaden Schwartz, and St. Louis stole another game in Winnipeg, and then come game six in St. Louis, St. Louis did not spoil their chance this time. It was Jaden Schwartz who had a hat trick, and St. Louis won that game 3-2. to two. And it showed that St. Louis has really gotten hot, and when you're hot, you are hot. That is the... You can't state that enough, Danny. I mean, the Blues, they got hot, and they didn't look back. Jordan Bennington propelled those guys, and we'll talk about how deep they got later, but holy cow, this Blues team, you didn't see this coming. And all of a sudden, the Blues are, have beaten the Winnipeg Jets, a team that was atop the Central Division standings for quite some time. And it, it just goes to show that the Jets were starting to, to lose their luster during the season. And it showed, especially in the postseason. And it's, it's hard to imagine how great St. Louis has been playing solid hockey for quite some time. Speaking of a team that's playing solid hockey, this was a crazy series. This was the series to watch. And it somewhat lived up to the hype. And it was a good one between Boston and Toronto, where Toronto stole game one, four to one. And then Boston answered the favor by winning by the same score, four to one. Nazem Kadri, however, was suspended for the rest of the series because of a hit he had during game two. And it seemed as if the series might change. But Toronto, to their credit, they played very resiliently. They won game three by the count of three to two. But then in game four, Boston held on to their early lead and won 6-4 to four in what was a great game to watch. And in game five, it was more of a defensive battle, and it was scoreless deep until the midway point of the third period where Toronto scored two quick goals to hang on to a 2-1 victory over the Bruins. And it seemed right then and there, Toronto up 3-2. It seemed as if Toronto had this series possibly in their grasp and they could finally get the Bruins. Yeah, it reminds me of a series that it was similar but different. Kelowna Rockets had a trouble with the Hawks, and the Port Portland Winter Hawks were giving Kelowna a run for money every year, and they got past the Rockets every year. And then that one year, Kelowna flipped the switch on them. And this series is very much like that, Danny. But the Bruins, they're the Bruins, and they beat Toronto every time. They get close, and it's always a fun, fun series to watch, but Maple Leafs never able to pull it out. Game six, it was Boston who hung on to a 4-2 victory in Toronto, and that brought game seven back into Boston, and just like the Bruins have done so often against the Maple Leafs, it was the Bruins who won 5-1, and it was Tuka Rask who really stood on his head for game six and seven, and it was Tuka Rask who definitely won the series for the Boston Bruins, but that was one of the best playoff series that's close, and it's a close competitor to the Carolina Hurricanes and Washington Capitals. 
But let's be honest, the true series of the first round and possibly of the playoffs, to me, the game seven of this series was the game of the playoffs. But what a series it was between the San Jose Sharks and the Vegas Golden Knights. Danny, I have a little soft spot for Vegas. I don't know why. I just, I just kind of follow them. We know people used to live there. and I have some gear for them, but Vegas is a fun team to watch. They're not really that bandwagon team. They're an expansion team, so a lot of fans don't follow the sport. They'll really jump on, and you can't knock them there. But they're a team that they play scrappy. They play as a team, and they play for the city. And they, their city had that awful tragedy, and that really gave them some energy that first season. But these two teams, they played in the playoffs the first year against each other, and then Vegas took that. And then this year, it was San Jose, and it's just crazy. These two teams, it was close games in almost every game. There was a few that were kind of lopsided. But these two teams went head-to-head with two overtime games in games six and seven. So no games in between them. It was two straight overtime games. It was a fun series. Boy, well, what impressed me from the outset, it seemed as if Vegas was the hotter team coming in. San Jose was coming in on a slump. And it seemed as if Vegas could possibly win this series because they were the hotter team. And both these two teams split games in, in San Jose. But then Vegas, they proved why they are dominant at home with a 6-3 win against the San Jose Sharks. And then if that wasn't much of a statement, they won 5 nothing in Game 4 and held a 3-1 lead in the series. Oh but then Martin Jones... He showed up in games five and six. He had a great showing in a 5-2 victory over Vegas in game five to bring the series to 3-2. And then game six, my goodness, it was a def- the score doesn't do itself justice for how great a game this was. And it took overtime, in Twice. double overtime actually, and it was a shorthanded overtime goal that saved the San Jose Sharks season. It was Tomash Hurdle who scored the double overtime winning shorthanded goal, and it was the Sharks that won game six in overtime, and that seemed to be a great storyline for this series going to game seven. But if that wasn't anything special, hold everything. Game seven was something else, and it, it seemed was. as if it was a routine game seven where obviously game sevens are more defensively focused because... You're playing for every single inch, and it seemed as if Vegas was in control. They were up 3 nothing after a goal by Max Pacioretty in the third period. It seemed as if Vegas was well on their way to be facing the Colorado Avalanche. But then a five-minute major penalty, and there was a question whether the penalty should have been called, but it was a five-minute major penalty on Cody Eakin off of a faceoff as he injured Joe Pavelski, and then pretty soon with the five-minute power play, it only took a couple seconds, and then Logan Couture scored a one at the 9.20 mark, and then um, under a minute later, the Sharks scored again, Tomas Hurdle with another goal on that five-minute power play, and it was 3-2. And then could, it, it was just a snowball that just kept on propelling itself. Logan Couture again scored to tie up the game, and if that wasn't enough, 28 seconds later, Kevin LeBanc gave the Sharks the lead 4-3. to three. And you talk about a five-minute power play, that is a power play of power plays with four goals in the span of four minutes and a second. That's what you call playoff hockey, and San Jose was up 4-3, to three, and it seemed as if they were going to win the game in regulation, but no, to Vegas's credit, they responded themselves with a goal with under a minute to go. Jonathan Marchezzo scored with 
only 47 seconds left to go in regulation to send the game into overtime. But then, in the overtime, Barkley Gaudreau deked his way through the Vegas defense and beat Marc-Andre Fleury, and it was the San Jose Sharks somehow, some way, that beat the Vegas Golden Knights in what was in uh, is the best Game 7 in my eyes in recent memory. Danny, it was what, Game 7 for the ages, and I've seen a few Game 7s over the years. And uh, I actually went to a hockey Game 7 2014. But their Game 7 doesn't get much better than that, and it was crazy. I remember, I think I was on Twitter that night and following it and watching part of the, the one of the overtimes. Holy cow, was that one crazy game. Those two teams, Vegas are scrappy. And then you have San Jose. They've been a very good team with the past two seasons. Both teams battled ferociously. But it was the San Jose Sharks that emerged victorious. And then in the second round, boy, if first of all, the St. Louis-Winnipeg series was hard to understand. This was another one of those cases where both these two teams flip-flopped wins left and right. First in game one, it was San- so essentially it was the San Jose Sharks that won the odd number games, and then Colorado won the even number games. And it was just a strange series to comprehend where either the Sharks were playing up to their potential or it was Colorado who was playing well. It was just a hard series to understand. But Game 7 was a difference maker where Joe Pavelski, coming back from his injury in Game 7, contributed to two goals, and that proved to be the margin of victory for the San Jose Sharks. It did, and the Sharks, they were able to get the Game 7 victory, and they had two straight series down here where they had to play in Game 7 after the Golden Knights blew a 3-1 lead. Folks, you don't want to be up 3-1 in a series. We've learned that over the years. But then this series... Like Danny said, it was an odd one. They flip flip flopped wins, and and there would be close games too. It just it was a weird weird series. It included one shutout, where Colorado blanked the San Jose Sharks three nothing in Game Four, and then the Sharks won a close Game Seven three two over the Avs to advance. But to me, what was one of the more intense rounds, intense games of the series was Game Six because. The Avalanche were playing for the postseason lives, and it was San Jose who scored a late goal off the defenseman Mark Edward Vlasic's shot. But then Gabriel Landeskog, just around the two-minute mark of overtime, scored the game-winning overtime goal, and Colorado forced a Game 7. But to me, this proved that not only that the Sharks were resilient and they were they deserved to move on, but this Colorado team, you got to give them a lot of credit. They may, they may not have won many games in in regulation well they lost plenty of games in overtime and in shootouts and that boosted their record but Colorado boy they they surely impressed me by how they resurgently handled the flames and they almost made it to the Western Conference Finals where they gave the Sharks a run for their money indeed did they ever and the Sharks had a run for their money in both the past two series but in this one even more so because of Colorado they being flip-flopped, everyone. Vegas had the lead the last ones. They didn't really have a run for their money, per se. But I'd say this is a more intense series for the Sharks, and they did what they do best. And they went and went all Jaws mode and took the Game 7 vi- victory. And there was another series that also went 7 in the Western Conference, and that was between the St. Louis Blues and the Dallas Stars. And Dallas has is a team of defense, and St. Louis has 
been anchored by Jordan Bennington, and it proved to be another defensive series where it was a tight. It, there were tight games throughout, and it was the Blues, and it was St. Louis native Patrick Maroon who scored the game-winning Game Seven overtime-winning goal as he beat hometown netminder Ben Bishop, and it was the Blues that beat Dallas two to one in Game Seven in double overtime. Indeed, and those two teams, they battled back and forth. They're all close games almost. I mean, they, at worst, you had a three-goal deficit when the Blues won game six, four to one. You even had an overtime game in game seven. That's not any normal overtime game. We're talking like one of the other ones we talked about, double overtime. These two teams, the Blues, they're a ferocious team this year. And Dallas, they were one heck of a team. you got to give it to them. Dead fighters on each side, but the only each team. One of the fun facts, Danny, only one All Star on each team. So there are a lot of the role players that were contributing the points, or former All Stars like Vladimir Tarasenko, and you had Ryan O'Reilly, the main All Star for the Blues, and so you have Tyler Seguin on the Stars, and when you have all the role players and the one or two All Stars, and the goalies and the on ice chemistry. It really helps your team because you're able to gel well and get those goals and win those games. To me, what impressed me the most was the resiliency of the St. Louis Blues and how they were down 3-2 heading into Dallas, and then they were able to win Game 6 and what was another defensive battle, and then Game 7, both teams were at their best, and it was the Blues that got the break, and it was Patrick Maroon who scored uh, the game-winning goal off a net-mouth scramble in front of the netminder Ben Bishop, and it was St. Louis, what a season they've had, and they're able to win Game 7 and head on to the Western Conference Finals where they would face the San Jose Sharks, but in the Eastern Conference, the stories were a little bit different. Well, let's first begin with the series that didn't create, well, wasn't the most, well, appealing to watch. It was Carolina and the New York Islanders, and it was Carolina that was able to win in overtime in Game 1, and that propelled themselves throughout the rest of the series. Now, here's the, here's the component that is worth noting. Carolina won game, their game seven in overtime against the Capitals, so they were playing competitive hockey to the very end. The Islanders, however, were one of the first teams to clinch a spot in the second round by sweeping the Pittsburgh Penguins, and it seemed, it seemed as if the rest proved to be the enemy of the New York Islanders. Indeed, they struggled after that, which is weird. You have a very trot-led team with Matthew Barzell in the ice, a young stud. You have a great goalie in that. You have team chemistry all over the ice. And you have to wonder what exactly went wrong today. Were they tired out of gas? Uh, something go wrong in the lock, locker room? Or was it just kind of the better team that won? And it appears it was a better team that won because they put on a heck of a show for quite a few series, Danny. Curtis McElhenney came in the clutch. In Game 2, it was Peter Mrazek who was injured with the Islanders up one to nothing in that game and then when Curtis McElhenney came in he did a great job in relief of Mrazek. Carolina scored two goals under a minute to claw themselves ahead of the Islanders and win the first two games in Long Island and then in games three and four it was Carolina they won a close game three where they tacked on a few empty netters at the very end and then game four they just blew out the Islanders right out of the of the PNC arena and they were able to hang they were able to cruise to a 5-2 victory over the Islanders and it seemed as if 
Carolina was just playing red-hot hockey, and then the Islanders were just cold. Yeah, the Isles, it seemed that they cooled off, and Carolina was on a hot streak, and the Hurricanes, they were, it was a cat five, Danny, and the, the, island, the island didn't stand a chance. And it's a surprise, especially considering this Islanders team was this close to winning the division. But it was the New York Islanders who are, were eliminated after sweeping the Pittsburgh Penguins. Now let's head to the series that seemed to, to be the most entertaining from a national perspective. And that was two different hockey teams, one of which won in a sweep very comfortably. And then the other team was one that won in a seven-game series. So it seemed as if it was a rest uh, against, in, against playing intense hockey. And it was, a, it was a, not necessarily the same case as the Islanders. Columbus came to play in games one through three. They played close throughout. They won games two and three and sent game one in overtime. But then after that, it was the Bruins that took control and especially headlined by Tuka Rask in game six, shutting out the Columbus Blue Jackets in a 3 nothing victory. Yeah, and the Bruins, they call them the evil empire, but and that showed this series where the Bruins, they won the series 4-2, to and they moved on to face the Carolina Hurricanes. But it was the face of the Columbus Blue Jackets. So you had the young talent, Oliver Bjarstrand, uh, Cam Atkinson. You had the young players, the veteran role players, that helped this team propel them to the second round and put up a fight against Boston. You cannot overlook, however, if you're the Columbus Blue Jackets, you cannot forget <coughs> Sergei Bobrovsky. He, he was near the top in the NHL in victories during the season. He was coming up under the radar, and then once he came into the postseason, he was playing lights-out hockey for the Columbus Blue Jackets. And he, and he proved that in the postseason, where he only had two games where he didn't play particularly that well. But outside of that, he played great, and it was two great goaltenders, and one of them had to had to go down, and it turned out to be Bobrovsky. And it was in games four and six where Boston took control, winning the final three games of that series and turned a 2-1 series deficit against Columbus into a six-game series with the Blue Jackets. Indeed, and it was a fun series for both teams. The Blue Jackets put up a fight, but the Boston Bruins are the better team, and they showed that all season long. They weren't the best team in the league. That award goes to Tampa, but Boston, they put up a fight, and they came out on top. Now let's head to the Western Conference Finals between the St. Louis Blues and the San Jose Sharks. And it was in Game 3 that seemed to be the turning point of this series where the San Jose Sharks beat the Blues 5-4, to four, and that seemed to be the turning point. But hold on a second. Well, there was a controversial call in the game-winning overtime goal that took place, and there was an alleged hand pass on the play where it was the game-winning overtime goal by Eric Carlson, but there was an alleged hand pass before the goal finally took place, but it, it, the, the, pass by, the hand pass by Timo Meyer was overlooked, and the Sharks were credited with a 5-4 victory in overtime, but that seemed to be a turning point for a different reason. Head coach Craig Berube of the St. Louis Blues said to look past that, that game, and boy, did they ever. They won game four in a tight affair, two to one. But then in games five and six, they took control of that series. In game five, they sucked the life out of the Sharks in San Jose, a 5 nothing victory with Jaden Schwartz having a hat trick in that game. And then in game six, it, the Sharks were just depleted, and they, they had two tough 
seven-game series, and they just ran out of the gas at the very end. Yeah, I mean, I'm not surprised. Danny, the Sharks have been a team that they're in my favorite team's division, but they're a team that you kind of want to like, and they're the underdog. They've came so close to the Cup in the past few years. They watched the Penguins hoist it on their own ice, and that hurts. I've had to watch my favorite team have to suffer through that. And for teams that have to do that, it sucks. But a lot of franchises, they have those deep runs. They have two seven-game series in a row, or three of them even in the time span of three or four series. And it sucks the life out of them. But, and, and that's just what happened. You can't give the Sharks, you can't knock them at all, because they had a tough series. They, had, they fought hard all the way to the end, Danny. They surely did, and they fought until they had nothing left in the tank. And and head coach Peter DeBoer, in in his post-game press conference after Game 6, he said uh, he was proud of his team because they gave everything they had. And even as if there was nothing left in the tank, they still gave everything they, they got. But it was the San Jose Sharks, a great postseason run, and all what a what a run the Sharks had. If there is a team that deserved to be in the Stanley Cup final for the effort they put in, it's got to be the San Jose Sharks. Just because you have to look at what they did to somehow, some way, win the series against the Vegas Golden Knights when they were down three one and three to nothing in Game Seven, and then they faced another game Columbus Avalanche team, and they took that Series 7, and St. Louis was just too much for them. And it goes to show how great of a team St. Louis is. But then in the Eastern Conference Finals, Carolina won a, a sweep against the New York Islanders. And then when they faced the Boston Bruins, a team that was fresh off of a hard six-game series, it was a team that was, that was, in, that was playing playoff hockey more recently. They, they showed up in Games 1 and 2, Boston won by the counts of 5-2 to two in what was a nail-biter, then 6-2 to two in a game that wasn't even close. And then in Game 3 of the series, that seemed to be the turning point in my eyes. Carolina had yet to lose a playoff game at home. And then in the first period alone, Carolina absolutely had a fest on Tuka Rask where they, they pummeled him with shots left and right within the first period. But... To his credit, Tuka Rask stood on his head and somehow, someway, Rask saved all 20 of the shots he faced in the first period alone. And then it was in the second period where the Bruins took control of the game and won that game to give themselves a 3-0 lead in the series. Then in Game 4, a close game throughout, but Boston was able to resurgently pull out the victory and what was another sweep. And it was the Bruins who were on their way to another Stanley Cup final. But this is another case here where it seemed as if rest kills and it showed for the Carolina Hurricanes. Indeed it did. The Carolina, they had the rest, but they got blown out in almost every game. A three-goal game, a four-goal game. They had one close one. Game three was a 2-1 loss. And then they got shut out in game four by a score of fantastic four to nothing. Boston Bruins have been a team that have just been red hot and they're coming into the Stanley Cup final where they have won seven straight postseason games in a in a row but now that brings us to our Stanley Cup final matchup and there are plenty of storylines that that you can look at for the Stanley Cup final and there's just so many ends that you can you can go out of but first let's look at the teams and how they both got there and let's first begin with this, the the team that 
has a seven-game winning streak heading into the final stretch of the postseason. And let's just take a look at how this team was able to get there, and that's the Boston Bruins. And they began their campaign on an inauspicious note. They began the regular season watching the Washington Capitals hope hoist the Stanley Cup banner that they won last season and Washington destroyed Boston seven to nothing in the opening game wasn't even close but then Boston seemed to put themselves together they won four straight games in a row and then they they went through the course of their season but if there was a turning point there's one game that does stand out and it was a game against a team that missed out in the playoffs but if you ask the Boston Bruins, this seemed to be the turning point of their season where they started to turn things around, where they beat the Chicago Blackhawks in the NHL Winter Classic, beating Chicago with a late goal in the third period, and it was Boston who was able to hang on with a 4-2 victory in the Winter Classic. I, I always get up and watch that game. I get up, I'm up late the night before going to the Winter Hawks when they play Seattle. That's always a fun battle, and then get up and watch the Winter Classic. I love doing that every January 1st, and it was a fun matchup. All the fans love it. It's a classic outdoor game hockey back at its roots, but the Blackhawks, they lost to the Bruins, and the Blackhawks seem to have a losing streak outside. It's kind of weird. They played a lot of them, but they aren't able to win them. But the turning point, in my eyes, for this Boston Bruins team in the regular season came where they started to win quite a bit. They were fresh off of losing two games in overtime and in a shootout. They lost to Winnipeg and Philadelphia. Both took extra time. And then they went up to Washington. And this was a Washington team that had won, I think it was 15 straight against the Boston Bruins. And they're heading up to Washington to 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 take on this Capitals team. It was on Super Bowl Sunday, so it was a big day for the Boston area where the New England Patriots were playing in the Super Bowl against the LA Rams, and then the Boston Bruins were facing the Washington Capitals, and then it was, at first, it was the Boston Bruins who did their job, and it was a terrific showing by the netminder, Tuka Rask, who performed very well. He, He produced a shutout in that game, and it was Boston that won by the count of one to nothing, and that propelled the Bruins to go to places that they had not even dreamt of before. They went on to win a stunning 15 of the next 17 games, and they recorded at least one point in 19 straight games in a row, and that seemed to be the turning point for the Boston Bruins season. It did. You look at the schedule here, Danny. They went on two big, long winning streaks with only one loss, and the one loss, Danny, it was to their opponent. They're playing in the Stanley Cup Finals, the St. Louis Blues. Had they not played them, they might have won. It would have been probably like 10, 12 games straight. Pretty crazy there. Well, you have to keep in mind, we'll go into more detail about the two matchups between these two teams, but this loss to the Blues might not be all that it's made out to be. We'll go into more depth about that later. And then the Bruins' road to the Stanley Cup Final, it was, it was a tumultuous one because... You had the opening series against the Toronto Maple Leafs where they had to scratch and claw every bit of the way, and it seemed to be, it was just going to be, it was just a tough series. We all knew that was going to be the case, and Boston did come out on top. Indeed, and Boston and Toronto are always a classic battle. I mean, those two teams, it's the original six, Danny. They go back to 
when the NHL was founded, which is years ago. And so it's been, there have been bitter rivals since. And they've, those series, they always go long. Last year was also seven games. Boston won. And also in 2013, another seven-game seven game series, and Boston came out on top in that one in in stunning fashion. And it was a heartbreaker for the Maple Leafs. They were up 4-1 to one in the third period and 4-2 to two with two minutes left to go. And, well, the Maple Leafs, they blew it. They gave up two goals in the final two minutes, and it was the Bruins who won that game seven, and then they won game seven last year, and then this year they also won game seven. And then they moved on to face a team that hadn't seen the second-round playoffs in their franchise history in the Columbus Blue Jackets. Give credit where credit is due. Sergei Bobrovsky stood on his head for the Columbus Blue Jackets, but the Bruins and Tuka Rask were just too much for Columbus. Indeed. In Columbus, they put up a fight. Give them where credit's due, but the Bruins, they're one of the great teams out there. That They're like the Pittsburgh Penguins. Year after year, they win and on a successful basis. And then they faced the Carolina Hurricanes, and it was a Hurricanes team that had a that underwent a sweep against the New York Islanders, and it seemed as if the the Hurricanes just couldn't bring themselves back up to playoff speed, and it was the Bruins who resurgently beat the Carolina Hurricanes to make their way to the Stanley Cup final. Indeed, and the Canes, they're a great team, and they put up a fight as well, but it wasn't enough. Four nothing sweep there. And then it, their opponent that the Bruins are facing in the Stanley Cup final, they took a very different turn into making their way into the Stanley Cup playoffs. And it was around the New Year's Day mark where the Blues found themselves in last place in the NHL. And then next thing you know, it was insane. So to put in perspective, here's a look at some of the losses that the St. Louis Blues had. On October the 4th, they lost 5-1 at home to the Winnipeg Jets. On October the 25th, a 7-4 defeat in the hands of the Columbus Blue Jackets. And then November 3rd, the team that was one of our disappointments, the Minnesota Wild, yep, they beat the Blues by the count of 5-1. to one. Then they went to San Jose and lost 4 to nothing there, a team they would beat in the Western Conference Finals. And then on November 24th, Patrick Lyonet scored five goals <laughs> against the St. Louis Blues in an 8-4 victory. And things started to continue to get worse, especially in December. They lost on the road 6-1 to to the Arizona Coyotes. And then eight days later, they lost by the same score at home to the Vancouver Canucks Six to one. Then in a week later, they lost seven to two to the Calgary Flames. Four days later, a five-one defeat in the hands of the Vancouver Canucks. Then on December 29th, it was a six-one defeat to the Pittsburgh Penguins. But what seemed to be the turning point was when Jordan Bennington came to the picture, and it was a loss against a team that finished last place in the Western Conference standings in the LA Kings, where it was the it was Los Angeles that won four to three. But then after that, St. Louis seemed to to turn up the heat and they were able to win 12 straight games after that defeat, and St. Louis very much so turned things around, and it all started in Jordan Bennington's first start. We could see that, where Bennington pitched a shutout in Philadelphia, a 3-0 victory on January the 7th, and then February the 7th, it seemed as if Jordan Bennington was here to stay, where the Blues visited Tampa Bay, and it was Jordan Bennington who played terrific hockey in a one nothing overtime victory over the Lightning. And it was Jordan Bennington who stood on his head. And then 
the winning and that was part of their 12 game winning streak and it continued in sweeping two a two game series against their divisional foe in the Nashville Predators and it carried itself throughout the rest of the season a 5-4 victory against the Anaheim Ducks that was a great game and it showed how both teams were going in different directions <laughs> where it was a St. Louis Blues team that was that went into the nearly the final minute of play, losing four to three to the Anaheim Ducks. And then at the 1856 mark, it was Robert Thomas who scored the game tying goal. And the game seemed to be destined for overtime. But then Alex Petrangelo changed things by scoring get this um, a mere 12 seconds later. And just like that, the Blues showed how great of a turnaround they have made. And the Ducks showed why they are they were falling off a cliff, a 5-4 victory there, and then they showed how they could beat, the Blues showed how they could beat Eastern Conference teams, a 5-1 win at Pittsburgh, and then they ended up sweeping the season series with the Tampa Bay Lightning, winning 4-3, and it's just, it's the tale of two different two different halves of the regular season, and then in the playoffs, <clears throat> they faced a tough matchup against the Winnipeg Jets, a divisional foe, they came out on top there, then a seven-game series that Went the distance, and I mean the distance against the Dallas Stars. A Game 7 win in overtime, thanks to Patrick Maroon. And then in Game 6, they, it was two teams that were playing great hockey, but in the end, it was the Blues that emerged victorious over the San Jose Sharks. But this Blues team, what a turnaround they've done this season. Danny, the Blues have always been a team that's made the first round or second round, and then people say they choked, but I won't say that brutally. They fall out. They struggle. They're playing the best hockey they can. This year, Jordan Bennington was a rock for him. He propelled them, gave them the motivation, but I'd love to see him win this series. But we'll see if that happens. They're playing the Bruins. But uh, holy cow, I mean, this city has ganged up around this team. They've gathered around these guys like a family, and I would not be surprised if they actually do win this. And keep in mind, this is a rematch of the 1970 Stanley Cup Final. Coincidentally, that was 49 years ago, and that was the last time that the St. Louis Blues were in the Stanley Cup Final. It was their and, expansion year, too. And it was also the year that that was where Bobby Orr scored the famous overtime winning goal in overtime in Game 4 where he dove after he scored that overtime goal and it was the Boston Bruins who had won, who won the Stanley Cup for the first time after a long drought and the Bruins won the Stanley Cup there but then the Blues had a Stanley Cup final drought of their own it took 49 years for them to get there but they're finally back and it's and it's a tale of of two different goaltenders where it was in 1970 where the two netminders were Gary Cheevers and also the St. Louis Blues's legendary netminder Jacques Plante, but instead it won't be Plante against Cheevers, but instead it'll be Tukaraska against Jordan Bennington, and this has the looks for a very defensive series between, between two great goaltenders. Danny, you cannot say that enough. The goaltending between these two teams has been incredible. Uh, yeah, I combine those two words, folks, but it's crazy because of the way the uh, St. Louis Blues have done this, and it's incredible by Tukaras, the way he's held his composure all these years, and he's been on a successful team. This Blues team is the underdog story of the century, Danny. It's like the Chicago Cubs taking 108 years to win the World Series again. 
This St. Louis Blues team has this is this could be a story of destiny. But then it, but let's there's also one matchup in my eyes. You have the goaltenders in Rask and Bennington, both are very well deserving. But to me, Tuka Rask has stood on his head and there's a, if unless Jordan Bennington does a great job in the Stanley Cup final, I think Tuka Rask is going to win the Consumife regardless of the result. But to me, the matchup that I'm going to watch is between two of the best face-off men in the league, and that's Patrice Bergeron and Ryan O'Reilly. Both those two pl- key players are excellent, and they specialize in the face-off circle. So that's going to be my matchup to watch between the two great face-off men in Patrice Bergeron and Ryan O'Reilly. Indeed, and those two guys... They're hard, gritty players. They always give their all and then some. They're your fire of the team. They are the go-to players. They're what bring in energy. But to me, well, obviously there's also that aspect, but keep in mind there is the rest factor that is playing a role, however, but maybe not so much compared to the previous playoff series. Boston's going to have 10 days of rest after they swept the Carolina Hurricanes. And that seems as if there could be there could be a problem for the Boston Bruins. But however, keep in mind, Carolina had five days of rest after they swept the New York Islanders. But that's going to be the same amount of time the St. Louis Blues are going to have. They will also have five days of rest before they'll have to head into game one in Boston. That will take place on Monday night on Memorial Day. So that, that'll be a fun way to to sit back and relax after a day off of work. So that's going to be... So the Blues are going to have five days of rest. Could rest play a factor here in this series? I don't think it will. It's a Stanley Cup, and I think unlike the regular season and unlike the playoffs during the regular rounds, this is the Stanley Cup, so the players are more hyped. They know this is it, fans. This is it, folks. This is it, guys. Let's go win this thing. Let's go win this cup for our city. I think the Blues are going to be energized, and the Bruins just want to add another trophy to their collection. To me, another storyline that's also noteworthy is a man that played for 10 years in St. Louis, and now he's facing his former team with a chance to win a Stanley Cup. And this was David Backus. He has played so well for the St. Louis Blues, and he's contributed to the team's success. And now he's facing against a team that used to pay his wages. So it'll be great to see David Backus playing against his former team, and that's going to be quite a matchup to watch. But now here's the, the moment that we have all been waiting for, and that's right, it's time to predict who is going to win the Stanley Cup final and how long is it going to take and let's be honest, this is going to be a very tight series no matter what happens because both these two teams are very defensively minded. Danny, uh, you and I aren't going to get along here, but uh, the Bruins are a great team. Do not get me wrong, Danny. I've followed them my whole life when I've started getting into hockey. But I think the Blues have this on their side, and I think we're going to see in uh, Sports Illustrated and uh, ESPN in a few weeks that the Blues have won the Cup. I think we're going to see that because you look at this and the Blues, they've had a lot of energy, this underdog role. And yeah, the Bruins have home ice advantage. But then the Blues, they finished third in their division, one point back from Nashville, tied at the Jets for points. Boston, they finished second in the Atlantic, 21 points back from Tampa. The Blues in this playoff series, in this playoff a marathon, they played 19 games. The Bruins, 17. So there's a little bit of rest, like you said. But the Blues, they have 
a role player. They have Vladimir Senko's a great role player. They have Ryan O'Reilly as an all-star. They have the fans behind him. They have the reserves on the ice. They have the coaching. They have it all right now. And I think they're going to win this series. And I think it's going to go six games. So, Derek, you have the the St. Louis Blues winning the series, the Stanley Cup final in six. Well, here's here's my take on this. You can't overlook Boston's first line, and you look at the St. Louis Blues. There isn't a line that sta- that that strikes you as a very good first line, and uh, to me, Boston has the better offense and the better netminder because you have to take a look at at the performance that that Tuka Rask has done in games where the Bruins could clinch or were in jeopardy. In Game 6, he stood on his head and helped win Game 6 against the Maple Leafs. And then in Game 7, he performed very well, only letting one shot go by him. And he, he, won, he essentially won them the first-round series. And then afterwards, it was against the Columbus Blue Jackets in Game 6 where he pitched a shutout to close out the series and then in against the Carolina Hurricanes in game three in that first period 20 saves in one period you talk about weathering the storm that's what Tugarask did in that game there and then the following game in game four another shout out in an elimination game so to me Tugarask is the better goaltender between these two and just to take into account that Boston has a better offense just in their first line alone in Brad Marchand and Patrice Bergeron and David Posternock that alone is I think, in my eyes, that's clearly enough and it proves why Boston is going to win this series. And to me, I think it's going to be a close series. The games are going to be close. But I think Boston is going to ha- is going to have Tukarask stand on his head and it's going to be Boston that's going to win a tight five-game series. Danny, I understand all your points and they are valid. They're, they're first line. Pass or not, great player. They have Chara. Marchand, Bergeron, all great players. But this Blues team, there's something about him in that, yeah, they don't have the sparkle to your eye. You don't go, oh, look at that first line, look at that second line, look at the goalie there. But this team, they have the goalie. They have Jordan Bennington, they have Vladimir Tarasenko, Ryan O'Reilly. I mean, you could list players in there, but they're that underdog team that um, I'm going to relate them a little. They didn't go as far as this team, however. The Portland Trailblazers in a fact that they aren't the team that everyone suspects is going to do much. They think, oh, they'll miss the playoffs or something. And this thing you know, they're in the Western Conference Final. And, yeah, they're two different sports and all, but a lot of sports leagues, they have those teams that are the underrated teams, and they people say, oh, they're not going to do this. They're not going to get this far. And then they do, and the city rallies behind them. The players get more chemistry. They get hyped. I mean, all the players, they gel super well. When they're winning, they're even happier. When you have a happy mood, you're, you're going to do well. Here's why you're wrong, and you're going to be embarrassed when the series is over. Oh? You, you're going to be embarrassed after oh. the series is over just by how wrong your pick is. <laughs> you ready for this? Oh, boy. Because you have a Boston Bruins team that has faced great contending opponents, but you have to look at who St. Louis played to get to the final. You're, they played against the Winnipeg Jets team that doesn't have has had has not had much playoff success outside of last year, and they won against teams that were not exactly teams that were s- suited for the playoffs and did not have playoff Sharks? experience. And you look at what St. Louis did in when they beat the San Jose Sharks. The Sharks team was depleted at the end of this series. When the series was two two, it seemed pretty even. But then in games five and six. 
San Jose, as we said earlier in the show, they just ran out of gas, and St. Louis just happened to be more more healthy, and that's what proved to win the series. And then also in their seven-game series against the Dallas Stars, Dallas is not a team that has the utmost playoff experience. They have yet to go into the third round of the playoffs. Sure, they made it close, but in, it seems that St. Louis does not have the experience it takes to win a Stanley Cup final compared to Boston because there's many key players on this Boston team that were on the team when they won a Stanley Cup in 2011. So to me, Boston has, they know what it takes to win a Stanley Cup final, which St. Louis does not have. That's why Boston is is going to win the Stanley Cup because they have everything going for them. They have the better goaltender. They have more experience. To me, they have the better coach in Bruce Cassidy, but that's up for debate. But Boston wins on many areas of the charts. So to me, Boston winning the Stanley Cup in five games. It's similar to, though, you say that the Cleveland Indians a few years ago had a 3-1 lead on the Chicago Cubs who hadn't won a World Series in 108 years. Well, here's the deal. Cleveland was a team that hadn't had playoff success, and neither neither was Chicago. But Boston, in this case, they have the playoff experience. That's why Boston is going to win this series. They have playoff experience. They have a better first line, better offense, better coaching, better netminder. They have they check off every side of the board. That's why Boston is going to win this series, hands I mean, down. The Blues, they have playoff experience, not like uh, hold on, not like the Bruins do. The Bruins have what? more. The Blues have made it the past two years here and there, and they made like first, they second round. They missed the playoffs last year, Derek. Yeah, but aside from that, they they're missed a team the playoffs that, last year. Team that Their goaltender has yet to have any playoff experience in the NHL playoffs coming into this season, and it's sh- and when you're playing in a Stanley Cup final. Everything is thrown out of the window. Tuka Rask has played in a Stanley Cup final. He knows what it takes to win. That's why Boston is going to win this series. It'll be fun to see how it ends up. I'm sticking with the underdog team. I'm going through what I see, and Boston is going to win the Stanley Cup final. Well, that is all the time that we have for Across the Blue Line for this year. So, once again, thank you to everyone who was able to make this happen. Yeah, it's been real fun, Danny. We got to thank Soma Lambert, our sports director, for being the engineer of this podcast and making it go. Thanks to Will Ortner, who got us kickstarted. Then after that, it was Derek and I who carried us out the rest of the way. But once again, thanks for Derek for hopping on and being on this podcast and making it something special and one of the longest-running podcasts this year for 88-1 The Berg, your hockey central. But it's been a great year. We've gone through so much. We've had different topics. We went through picks all the way out. And obviously, we calculated the standings, and it will be decided by which team wins the Stanley Cup. So if Boston wins, then I will win the picks competition. If St. Louis comes out on top, then it'll be Derek who will win the picks competition for this year but it's been a great year for across the blue line it's been an incredible run hopefully this will not be the end of across the blue line but it's only the beginning of many great across the blue lines yet to come in the next years for ADA Wunderberg we still don't know what's going to be happening next within the sports department of ADA Wunderberg but regardless there will be po- there will be podcasts and it will be special and you guys will enjoy it here in Ellensburg and from coast to coast and around the world so yeah. once again for Soma Lambert our one of our directors and for Will Ortner our part our podcast coordinator and for Derek Harper my co-host I am Danny Abox saying so long on another episode of Across the Blue Line. It has truly been quite a ride. We will see you next year on 88 Won the Berg, your Hockey Central.